Good morning, everyone. My name is Ardalis Green. If we haven't met yet, I'd like to welcome you to Grace. Been here for 32 years, so it's good to see you all. You know, there's two ancient traditions in regard to Easter. The first is that when a pastor would say, he is risen, the people would say, he is risen indeed. So I say to you, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And the second ancient tradition is that when on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, oftentimes the sermons would go two or three hours long. <laughs> but on a rare occasion, the pastor would say, I have a short sermon. And the people would say, amen. <laughs> so I have good news for you. I have a short sermon. Okay, good. <laughs> We've been in a short series, um, The King and I, The King and the Cross, taken from the Gospel of Mark, where we'll be this morning, Mark chapter 16, entitled, Disappointments Aren't the Final Story. In a moment, Heather Pothenberger will testify to the power of God in her life. But you can access the passage for the week and um, in the Version Bible app in Grace Community Church um, event. Also, if you don't have a Bible, we have them provided for you, so you can just lift up your hand. And if you'd like a Bible, we'd like to give you one. And if you don't have one, it's our present to you, our first gift to you. Next week, we'll be in a series entitled We Mission, about who we are and what God has called us to do. So you don't want to miss that, beginning next Sunday morning. Before we move to Mark chapter 16, to open up, I'd like to talk about something briefly about disappointment. Because um, there's three aspects I find of disappointment. We can be disappointed with others, can't we? We can dis be disappointed in what they have done or they have failed to do. We say, um, I can't believe he did that, or I can't believe she did that, or I can't believe they did that. Or we say, I can't believe they didn't do that. They said they'd do something and didn't do it, so I'm disappointed, right? So we have disappointment with others. And secondly, we have disappointment with ourselves. We hold ourselves to a very high standard, and when we don't live up to our personal standard, oftentimes we feel disappointed. I was watching a few holes of the Masters last Sunday, the epic battle between uh, Justin Rose from England and Sergio Garcia from Spain. And Sergio won his first Masters for Spain, for my daughter Betsy, bilingual. <laughs> but his first major tournament. So they interviewed Justin Rose after he had lost in a playoff, and they asked him, what emotion would you use to describe how you're feeling right now? I mean, it was a 72-hole tournament. He lost in a playoff. He said, I feel disappointed. It was at that moment I knew I needed to speak to you all about disappointment. God was speaking to me. I thought, like, this ties together, this Mark 16 passage. You see, he had an opportunity to win the tournament, but he missed the putt, and he was disappointed with himself. Anything short of a win for him was a disappointment. And third, we can become disappointed with God. Some of you here have suffered, or are suffering, or you're looking at someone who's suffering, and you're wondering why. You just can't understand why this is happening. It doesn't make any sense to you. See, losses and pain, suffering, trials, disorient us. It's been called the time of our des desolation, when we begin to get disillusioned. It isn't right. It isn't fair. So our anger gets directed at God. I believe that one of life's greatest disappointments 
is the disappointment of failed dreams, where we have a vision for our lives of where we should be, and we aren't there. We say, when I'm 25, I'll be there. Or when I'm 35, I'll be there. Or when I'm 45, I'll be there. Or when I get to be 55, a friend of mine turned 55 recently, and I said, every time I see a speed limit sign, I'll think of you. <laughs> so when I turn 55, this is where I'll be. Or when I turn 65, this is what will happen in my life. We kind of plan it all out, right? We say to ourselves, this is where I'll be at that age. So when I'm 25, I'll be, for instance, married. Or when I'm 35, we'll have a couple of kids. Or when I'm 45, I'll be established in my career. Or when I'm 55, I'll have financial security. Or when I'm 65, I'll retire and begin to take it easy. But now I'm 25 or 29, and there's no one on the horizon. And I'm 36, and the marriage didn't make it. And we've split up, and there's joint custody. Or I'm 49, and I'm dealing with being laid off and can't find work. Or I'm 58, and I have health concerns. You see, the question is, is there a story greater than my story? And how does God's story inform my story? And can the narrative of my story ever coincide with God's greater redemptive story? Easter is a story about individuals who found hope in the midst of their disappointments. So in Mark 16, I'm going to talk to you about three different people that emerge from the narrative. The first, her name is Mary Magdalene. Now, we don't know much about Mary, except she was from the town of Magdala, and out of her, seven demons came. She's often been associated with being a prostitute, but she loved Jesus enough to come with him to the cross, and that's where she spent her Friday. She also was there early in the morning to see the resurrection. The second one is Peter. Now, Peter is one who followed Jesus with a whole heart, with reckless abandon, but denied Jesus at the time of his arrest. And the third is the disciples on the road to Himaeus, and we know very little about them other than one of them's name was Cleopas. You see, Mary Magdalene had disappointment with others, and Peter had disappointments with himself, and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus had disappointments with God. I'm going to say that disappointment with others often results in being hurt and angry. Disappointments with ourself often results in being, losing our motivation. And third, disappointments with God often results in moving away from God. Mark chapter 16, verse number one. We read that Mary <clears throat> came to Jesus there at the tomb to anoint him with oil. Mary Magdalene and some other women were there for the six hours Jesus was crucified. She saw Joseph and Nicodemus take Jesus down from the cross, wrapping him with linen. They saw where they laid him, and then they saw the large stone rolled up against the entrance to the tomb. They had spent the Sabbath buying aromatic spices to anoint the body of Jesus. So very early on the first day of the week, Mary came to perform her ministry of love and devotion to Jesus. 
Now, I'm sure that Mary could have been upset with the Romans. She could have been very disappointed with her religious leaders for how they had treated Jesus. She knew the compassion of Jesus. She had seen his compassion in her eyes. She knew the gentleness of Jesus. She had felt the gentleness of his touch. She knew the sensitivity of Jesus and how he had counseled her. She knew the personal intimacy of Jesus in his prayers. She had seen the sacrificial example of Jesus with his unselfishness. And she had seen the unconditional nature of his love. There were so many reasons why Mary loved Jesus. As I said, that out of her came seven demons. She was oppressed by the enemy. And Jesus had set her free. She knew all about darkness and the dark side. And Jesus became to her her light and her freedom. Mary had lived perhaps a sinful life, but she encountered Jesus and she left her old life behind. She stepped into a new identity and followed Jesus with all of her heart. I've often thought about how the women at the cross could so easily have lived with disappointment with others. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she had made for Jesus a seamless garment and now the soldiers were gambling for that garment beneath the cross. And Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons came, could see the hostility and hatred of the darkness there at the cross. You see, what the soldiers did to Jesus was so unfair and cruel. He had never done anything wrong, yet they were doing wrong to him. They could have focused on the inhumanity of people. They could have lived their lives with anger and disappointment. But instead, they poured out their love to Jesus. They chose to honor Jesus. You see, we can live our lives in our disappointments with people. We expected someone to be professional, and they were so unprofessional. We expected someone to be sensitive to us, and they were so insensitive. We expected someone to be fair, and they were so unfair. You see, Mary's question at the cross, at the tomb, was, who will roll away the stone? But there could have been larger questions that she had to deal with. How could Pilate be such a coward, knowing Jesus was such an innocent man, condemning him to death? How could the soldiers have been so inhumane, treating Jesus like a criminal, gambling over his clothes, offering him strong drink when Jesus did nothing to deserve this? How could the religious leaders be so blind, missing the point of his miracles and signs, testifying to who Jesus was? You see, disappointment. Disappointment with others often results in us being hurt and angry. So let me ask you on Resurrection Day, who are you hurt and angry with? Disappointment with people often results in us being hurt and angry. Disappointment is a real human emotion. I'm disappointed you didn't do what you said you would do. I'm disappointed that you lied to me. I'm disappointed you chose someone else. Maybe the greatest disappointment is in the context of 
committed relationships, when someone says, I don't love you anymore, I don't really want to be with you, I don't ever want to talk to you again, I'm disappointed you didn't let me know, I'm disappointed it's over, I'm disappointed you don't want to talk about it, I'm disappointed you're leaving. You see, the question is, is disappointment with others the end of the story? Mary chose not to let disappointment rule her life because the longer we dwell on the disappointments, the stronger they become in our hearts. The Christian life is like this. It means dying to our old self so that something new can be born inside of us. Bianca was tormented from an early age in her dreams. She had nightmares from the time she was just 11 years old. She was too young to know her nightmares were the result of some very, very bad things happening to her when she was 11. She grew older without noticing the fact that she was very anxious. And she only shared what happened to her with a very few of her close friends. She was conscious of her abuse. She had, hadn't buried it. She always remembered it. It was always there. When Bianca became a mother, and then she became a teacher, the nightmares returned to her with a vengeance. When students would talk to her about their lack of protection or safety in their lives, it evoked memories of her own childhood. She actually wondered how a person as broken as she could could ever be put back together again. But in her desperation, she began to explore the life of Jesus and to grieve her life as a little girl. She entered into the death and chaos of her childhood, and her feelings began to explode with anger and rage and depression. But Bianca is on a journey today toward wholeness. Still, injustice done toward children deeply upsets her. But she says, there are glimpses in my soul of wholeness. Heather is with me, and she's going to testify now to the power of God in her life. Hey, y'all. My name is Heather P. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I struggle with addiction, PTSD, and nervousness. Right now. <laughs> right now. But God is good. I was a very wounded, hurt, and sorrow-filled little girl. And because I was hurt, I hurt other people, especially those closest to me. It's a cycle. Hurt people hurt people. The life I was living and the choices I made affected those around me, even if I didn't mean to hurt them. Sometimes I hurt people on purpose. I didn't trust anyone. I didn't trust myself. I couldn't forgive myself for the things I had done, and I also could not forgive those who hurt and wounded me, which ultimately led me to a near-fatal overdose. I was so 
disappointed in myself. While I was in rehab one night, I remember sitting on the cot. I had bed bugs crawling up my neck. And I thought, Heather, how much lower do you want to go? I cried out to Jesus, you have to show me how to get well. And I surrendered right there in my room all by myself. I got on my knees and I gave Jesus my heart. I came to Grace Community Church in 2012 and a few months later attended my very first Celebrate Recovery meeting. Through prayer, I asked Jesus to help me develop a deeper understanding of the 12 steps and the eight principles. Step two in Celebrate Recovery was a turning point in my life. It says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. When I came to believe Jesus could restore me to sanity, I had a transformation a change of heart. I also asked Jesus to help me work through the trauma of my abuse, and he heard me. I have proof. Hebrews 7.25, Christ Jesus offers unending intercession on our behalf. And John 17.9, I am praying for them. This tells me that Jesus prays for me anytime, day or night. I know that when I ask for these things, that's what he's doing. Whenever I pray, I picture Jesus standing next to his Father in heaven, and he says, Dad, we have to pray for Heather right now. She's crying out to us. That's how I know my heart is being healed. I just knowing that the King of Kings is up there praying for me, my eyes are being enlightened and I am being sent out to reach people right here where we live who have never even heard of Jesus. A passion of mine is to reach people just like me in treatment, broken, abused, in recovery. They have to know that there's a way out of all this mess, chaos, and hurt. Thank you for letting me share. Oh, God. The power of God. So the first one in the story is Mary Magdalene, who had to deal with her own disappointments with people. The second is Peter. When, there, when he came in, an angel said, don't be alarmed, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Come see the place where they laid him. And an angel said to Mary Magdalene, who got to be a herald of the resurrection, tell the disciples and also Peter. Tell Peter. Go tell his disciples and tell Peter. We can be disappointed with ourselves. Peter was very broken over his disappointment with himself. Peter was a man who was full of self-confidence and pride when he said, if all the others fall away, yet I will not. He overestimated himself 
and he underestimated the power and pull of temptation. Jesus said, before the crop, cock crows three times, Peter, you will have denied me. But watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. So on the night Jesus was arrested, Peter slipped into the courtyard of the high priest, trying to warm himself by the charcoal fire. He wanted to eavesdrop on the trial of Jesus. And a servant girl noticed him and said, privately, you're one of his, right? You're, you've been with the Nazarene. And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, she followed him and then said publicly, he is one of them. This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it, lying about the fact that he lied. Peter denied any association with Jesus and distanced himself from Jesus. And then standing with Peter, she said, surely you're one of them. You are a Galilean. Your accent gives you away. You know, somebody from the South, their accent gives them away. Or somebody from Massachusetts, their accent gives them away. Well, Peter's accent gave him away. And he began to curse and call down oaths against himself. You know, we have something here for those in a journey called starting point. We create this safe environment for you to hear the story of God where you can bring your questions and ask all kinds of questions. It's a safe place. Or you could have been raised in church or in Sunday school and you just walked away from the faith. You may have had a bad church experience or you couldn't correlate your Sunday school experience with real life. Or you just got busy and just got out of the habit of coming to church. Peter was a person who was disappointed with himself. Disappointment with self often results in us losing motivation. So what have you lost motivation in? It could be that you are disappointed with yourself. You hold yourself to a very high standard. So when you do something good, you feel good about yourself. But when you do something terrible, you feel terrible about yourself. Our self-worth gets tied into our performance. We measure ourselves by how well we are doing. So let's take food, for instance. You know the foods that are healthy to eat, right? You know the portions you're allowed to eat. You know you can't solve emotional problems by overeating. And you know it's more important to you that how you eat than what you eat. We know we're supposed to slow down when we eat. We know we're supposed to chew when we eat. We know we're supposed to receive what we eat with thanks. We know we're supposed to enjoy what we eat and the people we eat. So why do we eat so fast? The French eat foods like French bread, brie cheese, butter, cheese, and don't get fat. You know why? Because they linger over their foods and they ride bicycles. <laughs> so why do we do the things that disappoint ourselves? You think about Peter, there's a charcoal fire over which he's warming his hands. Think about the warmth of that fire, about letting his guard down, about disassociating himself with Jesus, being fearful about what was happening wondering whether Jesus was going to be crucified. And then Peter's denial. And then the charcoal fire of which Jesus met Peter, exactly where he was, that Jesus was coming to Peter 
to restore him. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus wants to come into your life to restore you? He wants to meet you where you are with your pain to restore you. You see, Peter thought he was done, but Jesus would say to him, you're not done yet. Peter was disappointed with himself, but Jesus would say, Peter, I'm not disappointed in you. Peter was saying it was over, but Jesus would say to him, it's not over until I say it's over. Jesus was coming after Peter. And third, disappointment with God often results in us moving away from God. Mark chapter 16, 12. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in from the country. A more extended version of that is found in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It's called the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You see, two disciples were taking a walk on the road of Emmaus. We don't know much about them. We do know they were disciples, and they put their trust in Jesus, but now Jesus was gone. So what does disappointment do to us with God? Disappointment can easily pull us away from our relationship with God. You see, the story is they were walking away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the epicenter of faith. Jerusalem was the place to go to find God. But now God has disappointed them. The story has not turned out like they expected it to. They expect that Jesus would be the Messiah who would bring in the kingdom. But Jesus was crucified on a cross. Now some of you have walked away from the faith. You were disappointed with God. You become disappointed with others. You become disappointed with yourself. You see, they were walking away from Jerusalem. They were headed west. They were on a seven-mile journey. You also here, every person here, is on a journey. Some things you don't understand. Some things don't make sense to you. But Jesus wants to come to you. And as they were walking along this path, they were talking about, verse 14, the things that had happened. They were talking about things like Lazarus being raised from the dead about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, about Jesus cleansing the temple, about Jesus being turned over to Pilate, about Jesus being crucified. They were talking about the recent events that had happened. And as they talked, they discussed these things with each other. And Jesus came up and began to walk with them. While it's true that disappointments have the power to pull us away from God, Jesus was coming to them and talking to them. When they walked away, Jesus walked into their life. Many of us do not recognize it when Jesus Christ is coming to us, but God is relentlessly pursuing you. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to repair a relationship that is broken. God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants to manifest himself to you. And God will manifest himself to you in ways you cannot expect. It may be that you're reading through a letter or a text message or you're reading a blog or you're hearing a song and God is speaking into your heart. You're reading through the scriptures and the scriptures come alive to you through the Spirit's illumination. 
or you're in community and someone's speaking a word in your life you need to hear. You see, the disciples were wrestling and struggling, but they were kept from recognizing Jesus. But God was coming to them. So Jesus asked them a question, verse 17 of Luke 24. What are you discussing together as you walk along? You see, Jesus was entering into their conversation. Sometimes we're having this conversation and now there's an intervention and God begins speaking to us. And they stopped talking, they stood still, their faces were, the scripture says, downcast. The disciples wrestling with this crucifixion were feeling crestfallen, depressed, and disappointed. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, asked, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus says, what things? Now the irony of the story is, they ask the question, are you only a visitor? Do you not know what's happened? And these things that happened to Jesus, right? The one person who knows exactly what's happened is Jesus, and Jesus is in the conversation with these two people walking along the path. Jesus presses them further. He says, what things? And they said about Jesus of Nazareth, that he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. And the chief priest handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And here's the words I want you to underscore. But we had hoped... We had hoped. If there ever are words to describe our disappointment, they are the words, we had hoped. I had hoped that I'd have a boyfriend or girlfriend by now. I had hoped that I'd be married. I had hoped that my marriage would have stayed together. I would have hoped that we would have had a better marriage. I would have hoped that we had children. I would have hoped that my student debt would be paid off. I would have hoped that I've gotten into my field. I would hope that I love what I do. I would have hoped that I was healed from this past traumatic experience. I would have hoped that God would have answered my prayer. Jesus presses in even further. Though they are disappointed with God, You know, there's a larger problem than simply your hopes and dreams have not become reality. You know, when our hopes and dreams do not become reality, often we experience grief. But these two people were living without an awareness that Jesus Christ was alive. They believed that Jesus was dead. There's a story about a Japanese man who lived in the jungles of Okinawa from 1945 to 1974 for 29 years, not knowing the war was over. He was living with a reality, but he was not aware of the true reality. You see, the true reality is that death had been conquered. The true reality was the grave has been defeated. The true reality was forgiveness is now available. The true reality is he is not dead, he is risen. You see, the war was over, but the man kept hiding himself in the jungle 
because he did not know the reality that the war was over. The war is over and Jesus Christ has won the war. You see, it's easy to believe in our head that Jesus Christ is risen, but it's harder to believe in our heart that Christ is risen from the dead. There was a conversation between Mary and Martha. <laughs> you know, Martha sent word to Jesus. Hey, my brother isn't doing well. The one whom you love is very sick, sick, very sick. You know, in our day, she would have text messaged Jesus. Hey, Jesus, come quickly. The one you love is not doing well. Well, apparently Jesus didn't read his text message. And so he showed up four days late and her brother died. And when he came, she said, Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you come? But even now I know that, you will, that God will do whatever you ask of him. And Jesus looks at him and says, your brother is going to rise again. <laughs> and she said, well, I know in the last day he's going to rise again. You see, Martha understood the resurrection in her head. She did not have the resurrection in her heart. And then Jesus looks at her and said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. I believe, <laughs> I believe that, she said, I believe at the end of history there will come a resurrection and my brother will be resurrection with the righteous. And Jesus says, today God's going to do a resurrection. He's going to raise back your brother Lazarus from the dead because I am the resurrection and the life. We can believe the resurrection in theory, but do we believe that God is going to do a work in us today? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is coming to us today? Do we believe that Jesus is present with us today? Do we believe that Jesus wants to heal us today? Do we believe that Jesus wants to forgive us on this day? He wants to set us free from the disappointments with others. He wants us to extend grace to ourselves and disappointment with ourselves, and he wants to resolve this broken relationship we have with God. Oftentimes, what happens in disappointments with God is we disappoint, we, we feel this distance with God. I'd like to invite the ushers now to bring something to you. You may ask, Pastor, how are we going to apply this to our lives? Well, I've got three things that I'd like you to think about as we wrap things up. The disappointments I have felt toward people, the disappointments I have felt with myself, and the disappointments I have felt with God. You see, you're somewhere in that spectrum. You're wrestling with yourself about things you have done. You're wrestling with people and what they have done to you, or perhaps your wrestling is with God and your relationship with God. I'd like you to indicate on the card, and this is just for you, just for you to keep, about where you are on the spectrum. You might say today that I agree, Pastor R, that I've been disappointed with people, but I didn't know that heartache and disappointment often precede a resurrection. Lord, I'm ready for a resurrection. 
I have believed the resurrection in my head, but I haven't believed it at the heart level. I'm open to a deep work of the Spirit in raising me to newness of life. God opened my eyes. That's what happened in the story. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were open to who Jesus Christ really was. He began to open the scriptures to them, and their hearts began to burn. See, until our eyes are open, we feel stuck. We can't go forward. There's a big stone in my path. God moved the big stone for the women. God can move the stones in your life. So here's the commitment. I will process my anger and hurt over disappointment with others and with God and in safe community. That may just be what you need to do. You need to process some hurts and some anger over disappointment with people, with God, and in safe community. That's why we have groups here. We've got 21 groups where we just love people and help them process their lives. Secondly, you might say, I have been disappointed with myself. I'm going to examine myself and evaluate why. I've listened far too long to the lies of the enemy, that I'm not good enough, I don't measure up, I'll never please everybody. I'm going to thank God for the power of the cross, that though I wasn't good enough, Jesus was. And though I didn't measure up, Jesus did. And though I can't please everybody, Jesus completely pleased the Father. I don't have to judge myself or others because judgment fell on Jesus. God, I believe that you are not disappointed with me that you think highly of me, that you are fond of me, that you rejoice of me. Here's the commitment. Therefore, I believe you are God and you are not disappointed with me, even though at times I fail. Or third, I agree that I have been disappointed with God. And this is just maybe where you sit. I have moved away. I have distanced myself. I have not ever admitted this but I've permitted my busy life to take over my life. I've gotten in the habit of not coming, of not being in relationship to others. Maybe it stems from a bad church experience. Maybe there's some place where I took offense at God. The truth is, God, I've been holding an offense against you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to admit I don't understand. God... I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand. I'm going to trust the one who understands even when I don't understand. Pray with me. Father, here we are on an Easter Sunday morning, and we want to hear your voice. We want you, God, to paint on the canvases of our life. We want to admit to our true condition and permit you, God, to come near to us, to come close to us, to speak into us, to speak words of truth over us. So, God, in this next segment, would you, through your Spirit, do a deep work of illumination and healing to us? We are all broken. And we come from broken places. 
God, would you continue your mending process in us, repairing us, taking us from brokenness to wholeness. God, this is our prayer, we pray, in the precious name of Jesus.